Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the show. Got a brilliant episode today with Hayley Christensen, who is a sports dietitian. I'm really looking forward to diving into today's interview where we will be talking about protein, everything you need to know about it, uh, what is it, what's its role in the body, how much protein should you be having, the benefits of it, whether or not protein supplements are worth your money, plus much, much more. Also, hang around for today's social media question of the week, which is, can you build muscle and lose fat at the same time? Now, this is a question that I get very, very often, and I'm looking forward to sharing my answer at the end of the show, but let's get stuck into today's interview. All right, Haley, let's kick off the show with the first question, and that is, what is protein in its simplest form? How is the best way you could explain it? Uh, if we're talking about dietary protein, um, dietary protein is one of our three major nutrients that we need. So it comes in many different shapes and forms. Um, its baseline structures make up the structure of the overall. So its baseline structures are what we know as amino acids. So they're the building blocks for many, many different things. Yep, so that was the next kind of question I had is what is its role? Like what does protein do for our body? So once we've had a big serve of protein, might have a big steak or something like that, what is yep. that protein doing once it enters our system? It has a couple of different functions. Um, it can either be incorporated into our, into our own body's tissue, so those building blocks can create building blocks for something else that we're going to create, so things like muscle development, things like um, incorporating into bone structures, hormones, all kinds of good stuff like that, or the building blocks themselves can actually act as signaling molecules. So they can tell uh, one specific process to do something or they can catalyze a specific reaction. Okay, cool. And you and I both kind of work with um, athletes and people just from general population as well um, on their nutrition. How do you go about kind of setting someone's daily protein intake? So if they're tracking their calories and their macros, how do you set how much protein they should be having per day or what's your recommendation? Despite what the evidence says with per kilo of body weight, um, that data is being gathered on an average of a population or an average of uh, people that they've studied. Because we work with individuals, it's based on the individual. So we look at what they're currently doing in context to what their um, output is like throughout the day, what their training schedule is like, and we periodize it around that. So how much one individual needs is completely different to how much another individual needs, and it will even change across time because your circumstances or lifestyle changes. So generally we look at um, targeting specific amounts in order to get optimal recovery, optimal um, performance within the gym itself, yep. which comes from good recovery, as well as optimizing health. So it's a little bit of taking from the science in what we know how it responds to the average population, and then we tweak it for the individual. So I might at first go, well, I think this is what's going to work for you, and then a week later their bodies responded differently and we tweak it again. So it's very much tailored around that one individual. Yeah, and typically with a client, say, for example, you had someone just coming in off the street who's just interested in getting in good shape, um, and then on the other hand, you have someone who's, let's say, a professional athlete who's training 
at a high intensity sometimes twice a day, do you change the, the amount of protein or how much protein per day they're having depending on, I guess, how much exercise they're doing? So would you give more protein to the athlete compared to just someone who wants to get in shape and build some muscle? Um, yes and no. So the amount of protein will actually be relative of their overall expenditure. So for someone whose general pop may be doing um, 30 minutes of exercise a day, yep. their energy requirements are not going to be very much. So they might only need three meals a day. So we'll feed them specific protein boluses within that three meals. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's training two or three to five hours a day, they're going to need to eat a fair bit more. So they might have six or seven meals a day and that protein bolus will be given at that six to seven meal. So how much they get is reflective of their lifestyle. And it's usually within those specific boluses, the way that I work is most people respond very similar within one specific bolus. So it might not be exponentially different between uh, for one meal between one person who's only doing 30 minutes of exercise or the athlete that's doing 50 minutes to three hours to four hours one day. So mm. it depends on how often we're feeding them as a result of what their output is like or yeah. what their uh, energy expenditure is like, if you will. Yeah, cool. Um, and obviously there's a fair few, I guess, myths you would call them out there about how much protein you should be having per serve or how much protein your body can actually handle and utilize per serving. Uh, my audience is kind of a mix between, I would say, people that are just interested in health and fitness and not too serious about it. Then I've also, on the other hand, got people who are right into whether it's competing in physique competitions, athletes and whatnot, who are very precise about exactly nailing their nutrition in terms of how much protein per serve and all that type of stuff. What's your recommendation on how many grams of protein is optimal per serve and why? Um, So how many grams is relative to when we're actually timing the food? So... Um, at different times of day, we're going to give a slight different amount. But when we're looking at how many grams, what we're actually looking at is trying to get a, the right amount of one of the amino acids or building blocks mm-hmm. that signals muscle protein synthesis. Yep. So this little one, so this chemical that turns on a process, so it will bind to your DNA and switch it on. This is a little magic one that once it's bound to your DNA, It can't bind to it anymore and switch it on anymore. So it's kind of like a light switch. Once you turn a light switch on, on. no matter how hard you hold that button down, the light's already on, right? It doesn't make it any brighter in the room. So it's a bit of a, um, once it hits that level of saturation, any further on top of that, and you don't get added muscle protein synthesis, which means you don't get added muscle recovery, you don't get added muscle building. Generally what happens is above that amount, we tend to sacrifice what we actually need in other nutrients, so things like your carbohydrates and fats, that will help that process along. So when we're looking at muscle recovery or building muscle, we're looking at a fine balance between initiating the processes that switch on that machinery and actually having the raw materials in order to do the work as well as a whole heap of other steps along the process to develop it. It's not simply about protein. It's about many other contexts to it. But in terms of that, the amount that we sort of aim towards, we're actually looking at around 25 grams of animal-based protein per meal. So depending on, that's usually enough to initiate that DNA, to turn it on, to initiate muscle protein synthesis. So in excess of that, for most individuals, even our top-level big 90, 100-kilo bodybuilders, it doesn't seem to make any difference because it's like a panadol. Yeah. A, 
Panadols giving to a 90-kilo bodybuilder relieves his headache. If you give him half a Panadol, it doesn't relieve him his headache. But if I give two Panadols to a 50-kilo athlete, it still relieves her headache. If I give her half a Panadol, it doesn't relieve her headache. Yeah, yeah. So it seems to be irrespective of body size, okay. which is uh, a really sort of difficult concept to, um, to understand. Yep, just taking it, um, yeah, that's, that's really good. I think a lot of people will be probably surprised with that. All right, so we now know that 25 grams is the most optimal amount of protein per serving. Let's say, for example, we go out for dinner, um, I go and have a massive steak. Obviously, I'm going to be getting more than 25 grams in that, that meal. So what does our body actually do with that excess protein if it's not utilizing it? Is it, um, is it just going to waste or does the body still use it in some way? Um, well, nothing we eat ever goes to waste, so generally we'll still absorb it depending on what it is. Um, but in terms of protein, so if it's a um, big steak, we will absorb still about 99% of it. That added protein, because it's not helping with muscle development or um, the building blocks, if you will, it gets utilized for other processes, so things like energy production. So generally what we find is People sometimes, depending on the meal, may not consume adequate amounts of carbohydrates or adequate amounts of fat in which your body's number one priority is energy and survival. It doesn't really care about whether or not you'll have goals to put on some muscle mass. It cares about survival. And part of that number one priority is energy. So um, that protein, if we don't have adequate amounts of carbohydrates and fats, that protein is just going to be utilized as energy instead. So even if you're having a 50-gram piece of um, protein from steak, if you're not having adequate amounts of fats or carbohydrates that support that as well, that 25 grams of protein that you, you utilize for muscle protein synthesis may not actually be 25 grams. It may get shaved down because a portion of that then becomes utilized for energy if you don't have those other things there. So it's one little piece in the puzzle when we're looking at the overall context of how your body recovers and performs. Um, so when we're looking at creating a puzzle, what happens when you're missing a few of the puzzle pieces? You don't get the complete picture. Yeah. So a portion of that becomes unusable in terms of muscle protein synthesis, but it gets used as energy production instead. So what we generally find is when we actually give people enough energy in terms of carbohydrates and fats, their requirement for protein goes down because it's not being used in other processes like energy production. Fantastic. Um, and then you were mentioning before animal protein. So um, let's talk different sources of protein. So obviously not all um, forms of protein, or I guess, are equal, or they're not all um, going to do the same thing. So, what is what are the most kind of optimal sources of protein that people can aim for um, when they're choosing their meals or their their foods? So, when we're looking at optimizing protein intake, um, like I mentioned, it's about having the building blocks there as well as the signaling molecule. It's sort of the the equivalent of if you want to build a house, you don't just need a whole bunch of bricks. You need someone there interpreting the um, blueprint to actually work out what to do with those bricks. Yeah. And that's the equivalent of having that signaling amino acid or signaling building block, if you will, um, that tells the body what it needs to do with that raw material. So um, that little signaling molecule is an amino acid called leucine. Leucine is a bit of a special one um, because it's one of the only three amino acids that our body cleaves and can convert into energy as well. So if you're not getting enough energy – in terms of carbohydrates, yep. your body uses that signaling molecule for another function 
and it doesn't actually initiate that process. So we see better utilization of uh, proteins when you're having adequate amounts of carbohydrates because that leucine is actually doing the job that it's designed for rather than going, oh, we're going to do it for energy instead. So the special thing about leucine is in the right quantity, it's only found in animal-based protein. So if we're looking at 25 grams of protein, that hits the 2 to 3 gram mark of leucine, which is the exact amount we need to bind to DNA to initiate these processes. When we're looking at vegetarian-based proteins, so things like the protein coming from fruit, vegetables, and grains, it doesn't have a whole lot of leucine in it or it doesn't have leucine in it at all, which means you have a bit of the raw material there but nothing to say or to provide instructions as to what to do with that raw material. So the 25 grams of protein that we look at targeting is actually just 25 grams of animal-based protein. So animal-based protein is anything from meat, um, eggs, dairy, seafood, any of the animal-based supplements, so things like whey proteins, casein, stuff like that. Okay, cool. Cool. And let's take it back a step because before when we were talking about the optimal um, amount of protein per serve, you were mentioning muscle protein synthesis. So for those that are listening that have absolutely zero idea of what that is, would you just be able to kind of give us a real simple explanation of what it is? Right. You know, when you do exercise, you cause damage to your muscles and your muscles get sore the next day. Yeah. We need something to repair that muscle and we need something um, to actually build that muscle. Otherwise, we just end up destroying our muscle and we get smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Yeah. So, muscle protein synthesis is basically repairing muscle or building muscle. So, it synthesis into consumption or something. So, we're looking at building muscle fibers or repairing muscle fibers. Cool. All right, now one of the questions that I get asked all the time, especially from people that are just starting out in the gym or just deciding that they want to build muscle is what protein should I be using to build muscle or what protein should I be using to get ripped or or lose body fat? Clearly, that's not what protein supplements do Um, and I think by now, especially those that have listened to the podcast for a while, will have a good understanding of that. But what are your thoughts on um, protein supplements and what do you look for in in a protein supplement? Um, entirely depends on what we're actually trying to target. So, um, being a sports dietitian, we try and get everything you need through food. So, I don't actually prescribe protein supplements because a supplement is meant to supplement the diet. It's not meant to replace it. So, with a protein supplement, it's a um, processed form of something. So, you're not going to be getting the whole food, the whole product that you actually need. So, Like I mentioned before, when we're trying to um, create muscle, it's not just about having the building blocks there. You need everything else. It's like trying to build a house. If you're trying to build a house, there are more components to it than just the bricks. You need um, the right foundation. You need windows. You need walls. You need the right workmen. You need to pay the workmen the right things. And that all comes from getting a complete meal rather than just the protein on its own. So the protein is only one tiny little aspect. So in terms of what we recommend, um, I go, I'm going to save you so much money on protein supplements. The only one that I actually do recommend is out of convenience. So if someone, uh, if people have really busy work schedules, so I have a lot of guys, for example, that are um, um, construction workers and they just can't stop. So it's a convenience thing only. Uh, but we supplement it in, in something like 
a smoothie where they can actually as well. Um, and the second context that we do is uh, the one supplement I actually do recommend, but only for a small portion of people, is casein-based supplements. So um, casein is one type of protein. I mentioned before that there's many, many different types, mm-hmm. and it's a bit of a special one because it's a slow-digesting protein. So this one's really helpful um, when we have strength athletes who we don't want to go through periods of fasting, and one of the biggest periods of fasting is overnight. Usually overnight or periods of fasting is where you result in the biggest loss of muscle. So um, we overnight when we're fasting, we run out of energy and we start cleaving into our own body's tissues. So for strength-based athletes, we really want to prevent this because we don't want them busting their butts in the gym, Mm -hmm. doing all this work um, all through the day and then losing all the work that they've done overnight. So that's usually at certain phases of their training that we'll introduce that and that's um, when we introduce that is reflective of their metabolism and how it's performing. So indications of when it's important are appetite on waking. So if I have an athlete waking up absolutely fanging for food first thing in the morning, that's an indication that he's probably gone too long without food and we need to prevent that. So short of getting them to wake up in the middle of the night and have a feed, mm-hmm. um, we supplement with them casein because it'll take a couple of hours to digest which minimizes that period of fasting overnight and will prevent as much um, muscle loss. But for athletes who aren't waking up very hungry, um, what they've eaten for dinner the night before is probably enough to sustain them long enough so they don't go through a really long period of fasting. So it's only a very small portion of our athletes that we do actually recommend um, a casein-based protein supplement. Yeah, spot on. Before we wrap things up, there's a couple of questions I just want to quickly ask you, probably more, more so for my benefit, actually. But um, So the first one, we'll kind of just continue on for where you left off there. I've got my opinions on, um, on intermittent fasting, especially for people trying to build muscle and, um, and for strength athletes. What are your thoughts on it? And I think your answer before almost half answers the question. But anyway. Um, yeah. So the, the research I just... Um, give a little bit of context. The research on intermittent fasting, if you've actually read it, the population is not what we work with. So in terms of, I work with athletes looking to put on muscle. If you look at the data, the research that um, produces good results from intermittent fasting, that research has been done on an obese population that's inactive. We can't extrapolate the data from that and apply it to an active athlete because it's a completely different uh, population that we work with. It's like saying, um, oh, this really this this product works really well um, when you um, taste it with oranges, so now I'm going to put it with fish and that's going to taste the same. So it, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, so we, we can't take the data and cross it over. What we do know, however, intermittent fasting um, for, strength-based, for strength-based athletes isn't helpful in terms of optimizing body composition. So one of the things that results in um, increased lean mass is things like exercise. So exercise will trigger that muscle protein synthesis response and protein feeding at specific boluses that I mentioned before will trigger muscle protein synthesis response. So what we're trying to do over a 24-hour period is we're trying to um, initiate the DNA to trigger as many of those responses as possible that so much that they outweigh all the processes that result in you etching into your muscle mass. And those are what we call the catabolic processes. So the biggest catabolic processes that the human body has result from periods of fasting. 
Yeah. So if you're training six hours a day and you're doing all of this really great work to initiate all of these responses in terms of muscle protein synthesis and then you go 12, 14, 16 hours without eating, all your body's going to be doing is eating into itself in order to sustain it, which means at the end of the day you end up with no net change in muscle protein synthesis or no net change in muscle. So um, intermittent fasting is great in certain uh, certain contexts, so things like with an obese population when we're looking at increasing insulin sensitivity and carbohydrate sensitivity. In terms of an athlete, they already have increased insulin sensitivity and increased carbohydrate metabolism. We don't make, need to make it any better. Yeah. What we need to do is optimize their body composition so they perform really well and they re- recover really well. And that's unfortunately not done through intermittent fasting. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and I thought I'd just bring it up but considering, um, I guess, how popular or how, how common it is to hear at the moment, especially um, from more and more, I guess, coaches or nutrition coaches now about how they're starting to use intermittent fasting um, with their clients. So that was good. Last thing, um, I know my answer to this one as well, but when you have someone that comes to you that's probably not an athlete or hasn't ever really tracked their calories or had much of an idea about nutrition, do you find that they're most of the time under-eating in protein or over-eating in protein in terms of their protein is too high or way too low? Um. Neither. What I usually find is that protein is not distributed adequately across the day. So generally what happens in the beginning part of the day, general population clients that I get, so non-athletes, come to me and they're not eating enough protein in the beginning of the day to trigger that muscle protein synthesis or turn that light switch on. But in the evening part of the day is usually when they have a ridiculously big um, bolus of it, so a gigantic steak, for example, or something like that, um, where it's too much. So... It's like a light switch in terms of you want to turn it on a couple of times throughout the day, Mm. not just once throughout the day because then you're only initiating that process once. So um, as an average, the data is a little bit muddled, but generally what people do is we don't have enough in the um, first part of the day and we have way too much in the end part of the day. And Most people tend to do that with um, general foods because we're trying to listen intuitively to our bodies, but our bodies, by the time it tells you that you're hungry or something like that, you've already hit the point of no return. So what we need to do with nutrition is we need to forefront it and um, think ahead to what our body's going to need in a couple of hours' time. So like when you go on a road trip, you don't go on a road trip with an empty fuel tank and then get three-quarters of the way through the road trip and break down and go, oh, bugger me, and now I've got to go for a walk to get some fuel. We think about filling our car up before going on the road trip so we can make it the whole length of the road trip. Um, and that's generally what we do, what I do with nutrition with a lot of my clients with trying to um, redistribute their food across the day to better support their energy levels throughout the day and better support brain function throughout the day as well as um, any sort of exercise recovery demands and things like that. Awesome. Fantastic. If there's anything else you'd like to add, um, feel free. But from my end, that's that's all I kind of wanted to cover. I mentioned at the start of the show that I've obviously did a bit of work with you um, this year and the lead up to, to my comps and there was definitely things that oh plenty of stuff that I learned along the way which is awesome so I'm hoping today's episode will definitely help people out and kind of getting a better understanding of the role of protein and what it actually is and what it does so I'll link up all of your um, social media links and your email and stuff like that in the show notes so if people want to get in touch with you or have any further questions 
they can kind of contact you. But um, thanks, thanks so much for, for coming on the show today, Haley. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you hang around for this week's social media question of the week. Um, and again, thanks for joining us, Haley. All right, moving on to this week's social media question of the week, and that is, can you build muscle and lose fat at the same time? And it's a fantastic question, and I'm going to break it down into two parts. The first part is, yes, you can build muscle and lose fat at the same time, but only a very small percentage of people can do it. Now, those people are somebody who's just starting out in the gym for the first time, so they've never really done strength training, uh, they've never really been in the gym then yes, they can build muscle and lose fat at the same time. And a lot of the time, they really don't even need to put too much of an emphasis on what they're eating or their calorie intake. The other type of person that can do this is somebody who is severely overweight or has a lot of weight to lose and again, hasn't spent much time in the gym. Because they're gonna be expending a lot more energy than what they usually would be, they're gonna be building that lean muscle tissue, getting stronger and also losing body fat along the way. But there will reach a point in time where that all slows right down and from that point onwards, guys, it's extremely hard to build muscle and lose fat at the same time unless you are pharmaceutically enhanced. And yes, that means using steroids or any other form of performance enhancing drugs. Now, what my suggestion would be if that's your goal is to to lose body fat and also put on some size is to focus on one goal before you focus on the other. Now, if you're very skinny and you want to put on some size but you still want to be lean, then I'd recommend spending a good amount of time in a slight calorie surplus, progressively overloading in the gym, getting stronger, building that lean muscle tissue, and then once you're happy with the amount of size that you've put on, then slowly transition into a calorie deficit um, and over time lose that body fat to reveal the shape and reveal the muscle mass that you've worked so hard for and gained. On the other hand, if you feel like you're kind of in that phase where you're a little bit skinny fat, you don't have much muscle mass, but your body fat percentage is too high, I would actually do the opposite. Spend a short period of time in a calorie deficit, get your body fat levels down to a point that you're happy with, and then slowly reverse diet into a calorie surplus to the point where you're eating more than your maintenance, you're progressively overloading the gym, and you're gaining muscle mass at a slow rate, but you're at a healthy body fat percentage. So you're not too fat, you haven't got too high a body fat percentage, but you're going to be building that lean muscle tissue uh, and staying relatively lean at the same time. As long as you're as long as you're smart about it. You don't go too far into a calorie surplus. Now, my recommendation is 100 to 500 calories above your maintenance in a gaining phase, and that way you're gonna minimize the fat gain while giving your body a good chance to recover between sessions, gain strength, gain that muscle tissue, and in turn, achieve that body that you're after, that physique that you're after, that lean, muscular physique. So that's my answer to this week's social media question of the week, guys. I hope you've really enjoyed this week's episode or this week's show on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, uh, I'd love for you to hit that subscribe button. Go through some of our older episodes, check them out, see if there's anything that tickles your fancy. If you're a long-time subscriber or somebody who's listened to a few different episodes, I'd really do appreciate you tuning in today. Feel free to share this episode on your social media. Maybe take a screenshot of the episode and post it on your Instagram story or your Snapchat or share the link through Facebook. The more ears we can get on the episode, the better. Hope you guys have a fantastic day. I'm looking forward to chatting to you again in next week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast.